BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Al Franken just announced he's resigning from the Senate in the coming weeks. And uh, his, uh, his setup for that was he said that um, some of the charges against him, some, are wrong in his opinion, and some are things that he doesn't remember the way that the people who accused him remembered, but nonetheless, he's bailing. And uh, Ebony Land is with us. She is the policy director at Social Security Works. So first, I should mention, uh, we're at We Act Radio right now. We Act Radio, a progressive radio station in Washington, D.C., in the Anacostia part of D.C. here, and uh, just a great endeavor. And Ebony, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for joining us. You are the policy director with Social Security Works. And so tell us about yourself. So uh, I started at Social Security Works about uh, three years ago now, and I just became the policy director. Uh, I also do some digital work. Um, but I just love fighting for, you know, just causes and such. So I have a one-year-old son, and I'm married, and that's about it. That's great. <laughs> so, so this is not just a job. This is a mission for you. Yes. That's, that, that is great. So, Ebony, um, your thoughts on Al Franken's resignation? Uh, I think that his resignation came a little late, but I'm, I'm glad that he's, he's finally uh, resigned. I think his speech, or um, his announcement, was slightly uh, more about him than, than it should have been. I think that this you know, discussion now should be more about survivors and, um, dare I say, victims of sexual harassment and less about the people who are accused of um, said acts. Mm. So I think that his resignation is timely, and I think that this isn't a bipartisan issue. This is something that needs to be a concern of Americans. So people like Donald Trump and people like Roy Moore need to also be held accountable for the actions and accusations that have come upon them. Um, So we should also call for Donald Trump's resignation. We should call for Roy Moore to stop running for Senate. Um, This is something that we need to address as Americans, not as it's not a party issue. In a larger uh, vision of things, it seems to me that what we're watching, um, much as we saw the first cracks in the dissolving of white power in the 60s with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and things like that, 
and well, and just the whole change in the zeitgeist. The the whole you know the, there's been this in my lifetime anyway, real substantial change. I mean, uh, we're nowhere near there yet, but but uh, it's been a breaking down, and now it looks to me like that what we're seeing is the breaking down of literally 6,000 years of male power and, and uh, specifically white male power, although this is crossing races as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that seems to me like a really good thing. Um, I have a friend who's a psychiatrist and we were one day, uh, we were both speaking at a conference and we were having lunch and he, we were talking about cocaine and heroin and stuff and drug addiction and he said, you know what the most dangerous drug in the world is? And I was like, no, what? And he says, testosterone. It's more wars, more deaths because of testosterone than any other substance on earth. And it's like, whoa, you know. But, you know, it's, it's so true. And, you know, Franklin pointed out in, at, at, the, uh, at the opening ceremony to the Constitutional Convention in August of 1778, that the, or 1787, that the Iroquois um, had forged this bond that had lasted in peace for a thousand years, the Iroquois didn't let women, or didn't let men vote. The women ran the show. So what are your thoughts on that, on the, on the death of patriarchy and, and the, uh, or the, obviously it's too early to celebrate the death knell, but, you know, the, the end of patriarchy and the diminishing of white male power in a way that opens space for, for women, for people of color, right, you know, all this I think that, you know, after 6,000 years, it's about time. Yeah. Um, it's time that we bring some different perspectives into the conversation. And as we bring different perspectives, then we can expect to see different results. So we can expect to see a diversity of perspective in the political space and see some things um, changing. So I definitely think it's time for women to have more of a voice and feel empowered and not feel like they are dictated and ruled by men or what men think. I mean, I think that it's going to take a long time for, you know, that philosophy to kind of drain out. But this conversation, especially about sexual misconduct, is a first step towards that and a first step towards people of color having more of a voice. Um, So I think that it's great and I think that, you know, we'll see what is to come. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, a very interesting time. Let's talk about Social Security. This is your area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And uh, who is Alex Azar and why should we be worried? So Alex Azar is Donald Trump's new nominee for secretary of HHS. So as we know, Tom Price was ousted uh, about a, a month or two ago because of his uh, private jets. Compulsive use yes. of private jets, yes. <laughs> his use of private jets. So now... Alex Azar is the new nominee, and he's, dare I say, worse than Tom Price because he is a, a previous uh, pharma, big pharma exec. He also previously worked um, in HHS during the Bush administration, but then he used that position to move into Eli Lilly when they were under investigation, I believe, for a drug called Zyprexa, and he, he moved up the ranks over the years and became the president of Eli Lilly USA. And in that time, he oversaw the price of insulin increased by over 300 percent. Over how many years? A relatively short period of time? Ten years. Ten years. So that's a relatively short period of time for over 300 percent. 
Um, and there are, you know, two specifically uh, famous cases of two men that actually died. One died after he was $50 away from raising money for his insulin. And another died as he was rationing his insulin because it was just unaffordable. And those are just two cases that are widely known. We have no idea how many other people, you know, died or became ill because the price of insulin was just too much for them to bear. And, and insulin is a, it should be a generic drug. I mean, insulin was developed in either the late 1890s or the early 1900s. It was the early 1900s that it was discovered. So you see that, you know, over this almost 100-year time span, Big Pharma, Eli Lilly, has managed to manipulate patents in ways that kind of, you know, um, prevents prices from going down. And they've also been rumored to be um, are coordinating with each other to um, keep prices high. Right. So it's just they're continually raising prices at the expense of thousands of people with diabetes. And insulin is needed to survive. It's not an option. Um, so, you know, big pharma shouldn't be able to put a price on people's lives. And the guy who did this at Eli Lilly is now going to be in charge of health and human services, which is in charge of what? Which is in charge of, you know, everything healthcare related, regulating big pharma. They're in charge of the FDA. Um, so why should we trust this person who basically spent 10 years of his life uh, at the very least, you know, manipulating drug prices and making a dime off of the, you know, the life and misfortune or the disease, illness of others. Why should we trust them to run HHS for the whole of, of America? Right. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's just another example of President Trump, or Donald Trump, rather, um, <laughs> manipulating uh, manipulating his, his power to... Um, uh, like the middle class and working class. There you go. We're talking with uh, Ebony Land, the policy director at Social Security Works. We'll be back with more with Ebony and more of the news of the day. Uh, big news about Al Franken. We'll be taking your calls at the bottom of the hour. So if you want to get in line, feel free. Uh, we'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Ebony Land is with us. You can tweet her at SSWorks, as in Social Security Works. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, so, Ebony, I see you've got a bunch of notes there. What, there are, are there specific points about all this that, that you wanted to share about what's going on with Social Security and Health and Human Services and everything else? So one particular thing I'd like to share about Azar is that he, during his hearing recently in the Health Committee, uh, he, he made it a point to say that he thinks drug prices are too high and he wants to work on lowering drug prices. This is the same thing that Donald Trump has said previously, but his actions thus far have not dictated that he wants to lower drug prices at all. And something I think that is notable about Azar was that when Elizabeth Warren was questioning him on his, um, his past at Eli Lilly um, and some of the investigations he's been pr participant in, she asked him whether he thought that CEOs that oversaw um, drug price hikes uh, like, for example, what happened to Milan and what happened at his own um, corporation, Eli Lilly, should they be held accountable for the destruction that they, you know, inflict on Americans? And basically, he said no. His, his exact answer was, I'm satisfied with this conversation. I think that we should move on. Wow. Yes. And she and Senator Warren, of course, took that as a no. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sort of like, you know, 
asking a bank robber if robbing banks is a good idea. I mean, kind of at a certain level, what a, what answer did she expect? Yeah. But but it's amazing how brazen this is. So he's been through the committee process now. Does, did the and I'm assuming on a party line vote, the committee referred it to the to the to the full senator. Has that not yet happened? That hasn't yet happened. Um, where we he's been through help first, and now we're waiting on him to be scheduled for um, I think the finance committee in the Senate. So there's multiple committees that have a say in his uh, yes. appointment. Mm-hmm. So. I, you know, I don't say I'm excited to see what he said says in the finance committee, but I am looking forward to see um, how he responds to some of the the senators, um, the questions, and of course, as you know, it was along party lines how they questioned him. Republicans generally praised his history, and Democrats, um, you know, uh, criticized his history, right. um, with the exception of Rand Paul, who um, thought that he needed to prove that he was a uh, not going to advocate for big pharma companies when he became HHS secretary was it something that we all want to know the answer to yeah so what at what point do Americans stand up and say no to Alex Azar or how do we I mean is this just a matter of calling your senators because it's this is just confirmation in the Senate the House has nothing to do with this right yeah this is absolutely a matter of you know calling your senators and telling them to say no to Alex Azar. He's absolutely inappropriate uh, as a nominee for Secretary of HHS. We deserve somebody who has a history of demonstrating that they have people's health interests at heart and not the interests of their own pocket or of big corporations. Yeah, yeah. And so should we be calling now? Should we be calling when when it gets referred out of committee? What's the what's the best point? I mean, Social Security works, you're an activist organization. Mm-hmm. What's the best point to apply that activist pressure? Um, well, we've been we've been waging a campaign along with them, some other organizations, public citizen being included, that it's good to call now. Okay. Um, and I think that to know when to call, you should follow these organizations. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Drug Prices Are Too High, where we will um, continue to uh, post when um, when things are getting active and when you should call your senators. We'll be right back with more of Ebony, Ebony Land right after this. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. That's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M in, as the promo code for your $100 discount. And Ebony Land is in the studio here at, at uh, We Act Radio. She's the policy director at Social Security Works. Uh, you can tweet them at SSWorks. Ebony, uh, Social Security... Medicare, Medicaid, th- these are big issues with a large scope. What is the state of all this right now? And what is the direction that the Republicans are pushing and that the Democrats are, are fighting, pushing, whatever? I mean, what the, describe the, 
I hate war metaphors, but the battle lines <laughs> here. So right now, as we know, the Senate just passed the tax bill. Um, so if the tax bill ends up becoming law, um, what we'll, we can see happen is that $400 billion will be cut from Medicare and 13 million people will become uninsured. Um, and also, uh, we try to stay away from, you know, deficit language, but what will happen is that it will increase the deficit. Um, and what we think will happen is that once the deficit is increased, Republicans will argue that we have to cut, you know, mandatory spending so that we can bring down the deficit. So we know that that means things like Social Security and Medicare. Um, so the Democrats are arguing, of course, you know, opposed to the tax bill. And if the tax bill is passed, then we they they better be opposed to cutting Social Security, which you know benefits so many Americans, not just older Americans, but disabled Americans, um, people who have lost their their parents, people who live with their grandparents. Um, it's just an issue where Americans do not want Social Security to be cut. In fact, yeah. most of them want it to be expanded. So if the Republicans try to cut Social Security, there is no doubt that in November 2018, we will see a huge shift in Congress. And yet one of the one of the neat little tricks that the Republicans are doing in state after state after state is saying that you cannot vote unless you have a valid driver's license. And most people on Social Security at some point stop driving. They let the driver's license lapse. And in those states, that means that they can no longer vote. I mean, it, it, it almost looks, it, it looks to me like the Republicans are picking their voters rather than the other way around. Um, are you hearing about uh, elderly people being disenfranchised? Is this an issue or is this just my paranoia? You know, I haven't actually heard, um, heard of that particular disenfranchisement, but I do believe that Republicans for years have been gaming the system, redistricting people. Um, they've been passing voter ID laws to disenfranchise a certain population of people and to make it easier for them to win elections. So that is something that we have to fight on several fronts. We have to fight um, voter disenfranchise, disenfranchisement because as we saw from the 2016 election was that the majority of Americans voted democratically, but Donald Trump won the election. Um, and I think that that is something that demonstrates how this long chase, I think it's been happening for decades that the Republicans have been manipulating mm -hmm. rules so that they can win elections. So it's time that we fight back. Um, it's time that we reexamine some of these voter ID laws that have been passed in several states because it's preventing people from voting. It's preventing us from advancing. Um, and that's something that is undemocratic. Um, and it's simply just not, it's not okay. It's not, um, you know, for people not to be able to vote simply because they don't have uh, the proper or a proper driver's license because there's things you need to consider that, like you said, um, people stop driving after a certain age. Um, right. That doesn't mean that they're trying to commit voter fraud. Right. Or mm -hmm. or that they're not capable of voting anymore. I mean, and it's just it's 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 crazy. Um, so uh, with regard to Social Security, you know, the we've talked kind of about the bad news, right, which is the Republicans are. You know, they very much want to privatize Social Security. There's two and a half trillion dollars in that Social Security trust fund. And boy, would Citibank and Bank of America love to get their hands on that money, you know, if we were to privatize it. Is there any good news? 
There's always good news with Social Security. <laughs> so, Ebony, what is it? Well, the good news is that Social Security will has paid, you know, every payment it needs to pay on time and will continue to do so for a long time. Um, it's dependable, and there are so many things that we can do to even increase benefits and extend solvency. So Social Security is, you know, the most successful program that has been enacted by the government since it's been enacted. So everything about Social Security is good. It's just those battle Republicans that try to um, manipulate yeah. the narrative around Social Security. And the banksters who own them. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, um, are, have we started yet to see the, uh, the campaign ads from, from the billionaires and the banksters saying, hey, we need to, uh, you know, cut Social Security or something like that? I haven't been watching the media. But. Yeah, I haven't seen it on my TV, but I'm sure they're going to start coming out, uh, especially if this tax bill is passed. I'm sure yeah. there's going to be some false narratives circul circulating. Didn't Rubio just say something recently about that? Yes, Rubio did. He, uh, he, he is kind of um, weaselly with his words, um, but he basically said that, you know, we need to restructure Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, we've heard um, that before. <laughs> which, a.k.a., you know, I want to cut Social Security right. and Medicare. And uh, Americans definitely should, you know, see through that, those words. That means he wants to take your Social Security, he wants to take your Medicare. There you go. Ebony Land, she is the Policy Director with Social Security Works. You can tweet her at SSWorks. Ebony, thank you. Thank you for having Great me. Great having you here in the studio. We'll You're be right listening back. to the Tom Hartman program. Call 202-808-9925. A lot to process in the news today. We'll be back with your calls right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We are broadcasting live today from We Act Radio in Washington, D.C. What's the frequency here, Alex? Uh, right now, you can find us online at weactradio.com. We were 1480 AM, mm -hmm. uh, and we're working on an LPFM right cool. now. Cool. Great. And, the, uh, and by the way, <laughs> Alex Lawson, uh, who is... Uh, the executive director of Social Security Works and one of the principals here at We Act Radio and just, you know. Just I have my business partner on later in the show, Kamon yeah. Freeman. Yeah, Kamon is going to be with us. So uh, your thoughts on Al Franken's resignation? You know, I actually think I watched his speech um, and I you could the emotion was extremely real. I mean, this was probably he said the hardest uh, day in his political life. Um, I kind of wish that he had gotten out sooner. Um, not kind of. I wish he had gotten out sooner. Um, he knew that there was going to be more. Um, that's one thing that we know at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I think he made the right decision. I think that he is not going to go away from politics. I think he is going to. He's basically an activist. So I think he's going to have a role fighting for a better future here. Uh, and I, I, I expect that we will not miss that I, I expect that we will see more of him in the future what is it about minnesota i mean it's it's al franken and garrison keeler seem to be the two people who um are 
well, how do they find this? It's like, you know, we all agree stealing is wrong, but we treat shoplifters differently than we treat armed robbers or bank robbers, right? Right. I mean, you know, we just, we know what the, where the levels are of the gradations. Right. And, you know, we're smart enough to do this with things like, you know, everything from harassment to assault to, you know, to rape and, you know, I mean, serious criminal stuff. There's this spectrum. And uh, these two Democrats from this one state, uh, you know, we were re- I, Louise and I were reading this morning, she was telling me about it, that uh, there's th- this one charge against Garrison Keillor seems to be fairly, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not Minnesota Public Radio, but, you know. I actually don't know anything about the Garrison Keillor one. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, in this moment, there's so many stories coming out because women feel right now empowered that they will be believed right now. That's right. the moment that we're seeing with Me Too, um, that women are stepping forward and saying, hey, this happened to me. When it happened, I didn't feel like if I came forward, I would be listened to. In fact, I feel like most people are saying uh, if I had come forward back then, they would have been uh, they would have faced retaliation, real serious consequences. So this moment right now is an an undiluted good thing. Uh, it is also true that, as Al Franken said, as he stepped down, it's you, you look in the White House and you have President Trump sitting there with 17 women, something like that. I think it's 17 who are saying he, uh, you know, assaulted them, harassed them along that gradient. Very bad towards the bad side. He's on admitting that he can't help himself but to sexually assault beautiful women and he gets away with it because he has power. That man is sitting in the White House. In Alabama, you have a guy who's running for Senate who was so creepy in, in picking up high schoolers. He called a high school girl out of class as a 30-year-old man. He was so creepy he was banned from a mall in Alabama in the 1980s. That man is welcomed back into the GOP with open arms. Oh, not just that. You've got a bunch of very large corporations that give money to the RNC who now are donating to Roy Moore's cause through the RNC now that they've turned the, the money back on since Trump and McConnell now have both endorsed him. Uh, it's amazing. Well, there's a lot of other stuff going on. You know, we've got Social Security. Can I throw one thing in? Please. Because I learned it. Uline, uh, who has a, uh, they they sell a lot of products. They're actually, you know, their magazine, you buy tape and things. Um, I did not know this, but the guy who runs Uline, so Uline is the largest supporter of Roy Moore. The guy lives in Illinois, uh, but for whatever reason, he's putting his money into a pack that supports, you know, putting a sexual predator into the Senate. How bizarre. I've never heard of Uline. Uh, it, it's like a, it's a, a big catalog that you can order. So like Office I own supplies? this. Yeah, but it's more like studio supplies. So tape um, and things like that. Right. But it's such a weird thing. So obviously I'm looking for a replacement for Uline now because I'll never buy from a company whose biggest uh, political, you know, their biggest thing that they donate to politically is to get this guy who's a serial sexual predator into the Senate. That's amazing. Um, the the budget process, the Republicans passed a budget uh, or a, f- a budget framework allowing them, basically it was raising the, the uh, debt ceiling, allowing them to run up a trillion and a half dollars in debt with their tax cut for billionaires and, and big corporations. And now they're moving forward with that tax cut. Um, but they didn't actually pass 
an appropriation budget. Right. They a just spending raised, bill. Yeah, a spending bill. Um, and so now there's talk about, well, we'll just keep the keep things going with a continuing resolution, what's referred to as a CR. What are your thoughts on how this process is playing out? You're a pretty keen observer of the D.C. scene. It's extremely opaque on purpose, right? So I don't want to just uh, confuse people with it. But the budget resolution was just a vehicle to pass this tax handout to billionaires, just to steal our money and give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. Right. That's what that was. But at the same time, the entire purpose of the Congress is to keep programs going. So they need to f- uh, actually spend money. Uh, and the, that process is what we're up against right now. So by the end of the week, if they don't actually pass the CR, which puts money into the process, the government shuts down. That's the government shutdown that you're hearing about. The the best that they can do and all they're talking about. Tomorrow is the deadline. Yeah. And all they're talking about is a two week extension. I mean, that's they they, get us to the week before Christmas. And they and really it's just to buy some time so that they can push through this tax scam so that they have a distance. Um, But like to think about how little control they have over their own caucus, they could only get a two week. They control the House, the Senate, and the White House. They can and the liter- Supreme Court. They can literally do whatever they want right now, but they can't because they're riven with chaos because it's a band of criminal and thieves right. and pederasts or pedophiles right. uh, or soon to be. And, and speaking of all of the above, what do you think the fate of the, of the uh, Trump crime family is going to be? Ooh, it's a good one. That one is a, the, the talk of D.C. right now. I mean, the Deutsche Bank one was really interesting, right? Like, yes. what are they looking at there? But to me, it's pretty clear that Mueller is not playing around. I mean, this is like he is playing hardball 101. He is, uh, he is prosecuting this uh, as a as organized crime, a giant organized crime case. Right. Um, I see Kushner clearly in the crosshairs. I see Don Jr. clearly in the crosshairs. And I see a large cutout. An unindicted co-conspirator is what I guess for Donald Trump, right. um, because I I do think that the FBI will point at that and say, Congress, this is for you to do. Right. We have about a half a minute. Other things on your mind today, Alex? Oh, it's just D.C. is a chaotic place right now, but that's actually good for blocking this tax scam. So call everybody right now and tell them to keep their hands off of our Social Security, our Medicare and Medicaid, uh, and that there are billionaire uh, Wall Street friends, uh, they're just going to have to not get their tax handouts. Yeah, it's 202 224 1315. 
And on the line with us, uh, I, I, you know, the, the whole Franken thing and all this other stuff is going on, but we can, we can chew gum and walk at the same time. Uh, I really think that one of the most important issues of our day and one that is not being covered at all uh, in, in any practical way. I mean, there was one day of coverage in, on a couple of shows on MSNBC back a week ago. But other than that, nobody's talking about net neutrality. And this could be, uh, as it was in China, the death knell for democracy, um, among other things. Professor Jefferson Pooley is with us. He's the associate professor and chair of the Media and Communications Department at the Mullenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, his website is jeffpooley.com, P-O-O-L-E-Y. And you can tweet him at Jefferson Pooley. Uh, Professor Pooley, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Tom. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Jeff, tell us, uh, you, you uh, wrote this, uh, uh, or were quoted in, I, I, I don't recall which, um, this brilliant piece about how the, the Internet service providers industry, essentially, the, the, has been buying phony research uh, it reminded me of the way the tobacco industry did it and the asbestos industry did it, uh, the asbestos industry in the 40s and 50s, the tobacco industry in the 60s and 70s, um, and arguably uh, some of the big ag industry and the, and the pharmaceutical industries are doing now. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, well, I would say first that your analogy to tobacco is completely apt. Um, and just backing up one step, uh, your, your intro referred to the stakes for democracy in the vote that's going to happen next week. Uh, and you're absolutely right that the you know, issue of net neutrality has taken a back seat, understandably because of the tax bill and other controversies going on, but it is the big issue in communication uh, and by extension democracy that's going on right now. But to turn to the story about the article, um, a colleague and I stumbled across this uh, paper that had been published to a very prestigious um, journal of communication research. And a pair of economists wrote a paper that was startling to both of us in its claims. It made the argument that the 2014 decision to adopt net neutrality was uh, essentially the FCC um, succumbing to a, a rabble of populist know-nothings. Um, it was uh, openly described as there being no economics to the decision, that it was just bowing to populist pressure. And the article surprised us. Um, there was absolutely no disclosure, but just a little bit of digging on the title of the, uh, of the piece that got published showed that it was actually uh, funded by a front group uh, that has deep, deep ties to the telecommunications industry, um, principally AT&T out in California, that had uh, funded the paper originally and submitted it to the FCC twice. And in those two versions, the paper had disclosed its origins. But in the version that was published in the academic journal, the funding was entirely absent. It was only after we inquired about it um, that the funding was disclosed, and then only in the most anemic way. Hmm. So uh, is this an isolated incident, or is this part of a large trend? Is, is, is the uh, telco industry, well, first of all, what word should I use when I describe this industry? And is this industry now um, you know, launching a major and concerted effort to basically rewrite science? It is accurate to say that the telecommunications industry, which would include the kind of cable giants too, and the way we want to talk about it now, um, is and has um, exerted a campaign over the last number of years um, to 
either prevent or roll back net neutrality. And the use of academics um, is, in this case, I'll, I'll mention, and then I think it's much larger than this, is to what I think of as information launder in just the same way that a tobacco company might fund uh, some medical doctors to produce research that they can then turn around and use, uh, but without their fingerprints on it. That's exactly what happened in this case, where the article with no disclosure was published in early April of this year, and not five days later, Ajit Pai, the um, Trump-appointed FCC chairman, was citing the paper in speeches and in the document he released to begin the, the rollback of net neutrality. So you had Whoa. a telecommunications front group fund and commission a report that became an academic study with no roots to its origins, which was then cited, but without those tainted origins in the rulemaking that began the process that will be completed, unfortunately, next week to, to eliminate those rules. As we're speaking, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure today is the day that all over the country people are, are organizing to stand out in front of Verizon stores and basically complain about the fact that Ajit Pai, the head of the FCC, who's leading the charge to destroy net neutrality and, and uh, turn our internet into a commercial version of China's uh, Great Firewall, um, that he was formerly a lawyer for Verizon. Um, That's right. So if you were what's to this? drive down uh, past your local mall, you would see um, a big crowd of folks outside of the Verizon store, and I'll be at one of those pretty soon myself. Uh, but that's because, just as you say, uh, GPI had been a lawyer for Verizon, and this is pretty common. There's a revolving door at the FCC. There have been some good commissioners over the years, but there is, like in lots of uh, the Washington officialdom, um, a, a revolving door of service and lobbying and then service again and back to lobbying. And here is a prime example. We're talking with Professor Jefferson Poole, Associate Professor and Chair of the Media and Communications Department at Mullenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. His website, Jeffrey, uh, jeffpool.com. You can tweet him at Jefferson Pooley, excuse me, Pooley, P-O-O-L-E-Y. And uh, he, he wrote an absolutely brilliant piece about this, about how the, the uh, telecommunications industry is basically buying BS research, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, when Tom Wheeler was thinking about blow, the, the telecommunications, uh, the FCC chair under, under President Barack Obama, and, and Tom Wheeler himself, formerly uh, the head, uh, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was the head of the, uh, of the lobbying group for the telco industry, was he not? Or a, a lobbyist was. for them in any case? Yeah, he, he, ha he had lobbying origins too. And so those of us who are concerned about communication policy were very alarmed when he was appointed. However, it turned out to be a kind of Nixon to China case when the court struck down the rather milquetoast version of net neutrality in 2014. He and the rest of the FCC led a, a process that ended up in a very robust version, the one that's going to be repealed next week, unfortunately. The, the right, idea putting that under Title two. providers should be reclassified as Title II. And without getting into the details, it just means the FCC then had the authority to uh, ensure that they had to treat all of their network traffic the same. So it's right. interesting. He, he indeed was uh, a former lobbyist, yet he did come through in a way that everyone found surprising. Yeah. So uh, a little less than a minute left here, Jeff. What, what can and should people be doing right now, given that this vote is happening next week? Well, you should be writing um, an email and calling the office of your 
congressperson um, to put pressure, but also calling the FCC itself. Join the um, protests that are happening if you can today and uh, feel free to contribute to groups like Free Press, uh, which is at freepress.org, that um, are fighting for a free and open internet. And, and more yeah, than I think that, that's that, isn't it? that there is a, a um, campaign underway to use academic research as kind of information laundered evidence. Uh, and so look out for that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's truly mind boggling that Ajit Pai, the head of the FCC, is quoting as if it were solid science, a study, uh, even if it's political science or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, a solid study. Uh, quoting it as if it was real when, in fact, it was paid for by industry. He, I mean, this is like Shildum on steroids. I could not have said so it better. It's, yeah. Okay. Professor Jeff Pooley. Thank you, Professor. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of the day and the news of the day right after this. Stick around. And welcome back. Blair in Austin, Texas. Hey, Blair, what's on your mind today? Well, hello, Tom. It is sort of a quite a sad day, but I wanted to move on to maybe a solution on how we take back control of our Democratic Party from the lobbyists and the corporations. Maybe we can take a, a page out of what the Labor Party did in England when they decided that they were going to make allow their membership to make important decisions and allow people to buy in. You know, three dollars a month, uh, three pounds a month, or twenty-five pounds a year, and you got a vote—a subscription-type party. You know, they went from under two hundred thousand members to over six hundred thousand. They created a great deal of activism, then, and turned that party around. I don't know why we can't do a buyout of these corporations and move on to maybe a subscription party where, you know, hmm. the superdelegates could be selected by the people who put up their money. It's, uh, you know, it's yeah, I'm a little wary, Blaine, about any kind of a political system where the people with the most money get the get the get the most power, which is essentially well, what you're not, describing. It's not the most money. It's it's twenty five pounds a year or three pounds a month. And you get one vote. It, it's so twenty five bucks a year. The revitalization Pay to play, of the Labor Party. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, uh, so this is how you, you said one of the parties in the UK did this. Which party did it? The when Labor did they do Party. This? That's how we got Jeremy the Corbyn. Though. The Parliamentary Labor Party, the corporatists in the party would have never let him come to leadership. It was the rank and file that showed up and uh, signed up, paid up, and put him in power. He would never have been there if, we, if you'd have let the corporatists. That but was it, party. was it, was it he who was... You know, was it like sort of like a Bernie thing, like he was running the fundraising or was it the party itself? Now, in 2015, when uh, the party, uh, the Labor Party changed its rules and allowed, you know, not just union members, but regular people to buy uh, to subscribe to the party and then allowed them to vote on leadership. And that was the the year where you had uh, Miliband, Miliband, the two brothers that ran against each other. Then two years later, when they came back to, after the one Miliband had gone down, when they came back to choose a new leader, the, um, Jeremy Corbyn barely got on the ballot. And it was a groundswell. Their, their membership exploded. And now when, you know, they say when you go to a constituency party meeting in England where you used to get 12 people show up, you get 200 show up. If you give people a buy-in, 
And, you know, that's why our party can't raise money. That's why when Hillary sent out all those emails asking for people to contribute one dollar, just just give me something that that we were so disenfranchised that our vote meant nothing. That they just lean back, lean back and let it happen to us. But that's what's the giving power and some authority back to the rank and file has made a labor a much stronger party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's we, a, we've shown, you know, we've also shown that we can't get control of this party through the normal processes. Um, it was right. an off year. California went through. I guess. Well, I think, you know, I think Blair, Blair, I'm sorry, we're, we're hitting a break here. And I did want to add some, you know, comment on your comment. Um, I think that at a certain level, we're seeing that sort of thing with things spinning off of the Democratic Party, like our revolution or progressive Democrats of America. But you raise a really interesting uh, topic and I, I need to do a little digging on it. Thank you, Blair. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. Here with you and uh, in the studio with me. Actually, I'm in your studio. Yes, yes. Welcome to my house. <laughs> come on, come on, Freeman. It's great having you with us. It's an honor for you to be here. It, it is. It, it's it's so nice to see you. You've been on my on my TV show a lot of times. You've been on the radio show a few times. It's, yeah. it's, it's just it, it's so. So what is what is at the top of your mind right now? What are the, well, what are the, you know, in the words of um, anti-racism activist Jane Elliott, I'm just so glad to see that uh, so many people are joining the fight to get off their polysaturated butts and, and, and do something. Yeah, you know? there you so go. So shout out to everybody that's um, uh, paying Verizon a visit today and doing what they can to make as much noise as they can because we are in need of a consumer revolt. Yeah. Uh, and I've shared this on your, your show before, and I apologize for the redundancy, but I think it uh, bears repeating. Uh, this is one of the premises behind my current project, um, uh, film project that we're working on for John Brown. I'll talk to it up uh, uh, a little bit in a minute. Mm-hmm. And it says, I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me and causes me to tremble for the safety of my country. Corporations have been enthroned and an era of corruption in high places will follow and the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign by working upon the prejudices of the people until all worth is arrogated in a few hands and the republic is destroyed. Now, there's an open debate whether or not Abraham Lincoln actually said that, but it's been reported that he did. And whether he did or didn't, I don't. I think it doesn't take away from the validity of the accurate assessment of where we are today. Well, and that was a widespread sentiment, actually, you know, around the time of the Civil War. You had the, the Great Depression of 1857 that just... A lot of people forgot that. Yeah, just shattered people's, you know, uh, sense of safety, just like the Great Crash of 1929. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a major depression. So, uh, I yeah. think you're a little ahead of your time because your book, uh, The Great Crash of, um, of 2016, 2016 yeah. I think it's still coming. I do, too. Uh, I do, too. It concerns me, yeah. yeah. And, and really, that book was mostly about how the Republicans set it up, you know, with the, with the, uh, 
the Powell memo and Lewis Powell and all that. But, it's, yeah. It looks like a fire sale to me, what they're doing right now. It's like they're grabbing all they can. It's, it's amazing when you think about it. You know, we hear Republicans talk about return on investment. Mm-hmm. And it's like they, you know, the Koch network and, and a few other billionaires, you know, Shelley Adelson, his price to Trump apparently was mm-hmm. move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem and, and whatnot. Um, they invested about a billion dollars in the last election and they're getting a one and a half trillion dollar tax break. Actually, it's going to be five trillion over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that's five thousand billion dollars. So you invest one, get back five thousand over a decade. I don't Talk know. About be- yeah, I don't know of a better investment in America than buying a member of Congress right now. It's yeah, just a shame you and I can't afford to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna quote you on that. Buying a member of Congress is the best sound investment. It is. It actually. I mean, you know, if you want to make a serious, serious profit in America, what are your thoughts on this Franken thing? It's unfortunate because I, I, I you know, um, I, we're seeing a lot of good people get caught up in bad situations and we're losing because I don't see how. Um, of course it's wrong, of course I'm not defending them, but to see Trump still standing, it's a bitter pill to swallow to see yeah. people who politics I'm more in line with fall to the wayside, but he's still there. Yeah. And his agenda has, has, has been uninterrupted by all that he's been accused of. Yeah, I, I agree. I, sh- I should add, if I, if I uh, in the middle of my introduction of you, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I mentioned, you're the co-owner of this radio station. <laughs> and, and so well, tell us about We Act Radio. We Act Radio, DC's um, um, uh, number one progressive radio station, according to the Washington City paper, but you know what do they know? Um, are they to have the number <laughs> one progressive you. talk show host <laughs> in, in our station? Um, we had a very rough summertime. We had a devastating robbery here uh, that took us off air for some time. Um, and fortunately for us, we was able to um, uh, have a successful uh, uh, fundraiser that got us back on our feet. Uh, WPFW, uh, who is actually struggling now, uh, there's a whole Pacifica crisis. There's a lot of a lot of tax on, on progressive media because it's been um, a very suspicious robbery. We thought uh, it, it appeared to be politically motivated. Um, things of value uh, were left behind, and things like hard drives and content and our work was taken. And it was very professional. Then we have Pacifica having a trouble with WBAI and. Uh, the tower rents or the Empire State Building, and a lot of debt over their head. They're thinking about selling WBI, thinking about getting rid of WPFW. We've seen Roland Martin um, show get canned. We've seen uh, Oprah Winfrey selling her network. Uh, we see the media consolidation. It's very important that independent media outlets like We Are Gray on, like um, uh, progressive hosts such as yourself that has a national audience, to continue to push the envelope because we are living in a very critical time, and we need to understand that. And the work we're doing is not only important and valuable, it is absolutely intrinsically necessary to uh, uh, ever uh, ch- challenging the, the, the status quo that is running this thing down our throats right now. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and you, you guys are doing such great work here. Um, we have a half a minute. Any other issues you want to get? John Brown, baby. John, John Brown. Brown. We Tell are just us. doing a film project, uh, Patriot Treason. Um, there's a book on that name, but it's an original screenplay. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito um, mm-hmm. had tried to direct this um, many moons ago with um, Ed Harris as lead role of John Brown. It didn't get off the ground. He just hit me today and wanted to learn more about our project. So we're launching a tour, 13-city tour, with this short film that we have shot and a stage reading of the full feature film that we're trying to get done. And we're coming to Portland. So I'll see That's you great. Soon. Yeah. 13-city. So people 
people can check us out, the Abolitionist Tour. You can go to abolitionisttour.com or, or GoFundMe John Brown Tour and look out for us because well, we think that is a, a story that needs to be told. Come on, Freeman. Abolitionist Tour. Abolitionisttour.com and John Brown um, Tour on GoFundMe. John Brown is the greatest white man America has ever produced, so-called, uh, so says Dick Gregory. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Kamal. Thank Great you. having you with us. The Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Be right back with your calls after this. And welcome back. Scott in uh, Canaan, Maine, watching Free Speech TV on the Dish Network. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. How are you? Hey, listen, Good. I'm... I'm not a very educated man, unlike yourself, but I've been blessed with an enormous amount of common sense, I think. And I'm I'm kind of thinking that this thing that, that the Democrats are doing right now with Franken is just, it's a showboat thing. You know, they're securing their own positions, Schumer and Pelosi. And I remember eating breakfast with my grandfather who was an engineer and he'd always give me milk toast and one thing i always noticed or didn't notice then but notice now that milk toast always sinks to the bottom and that's what the democrats are right now they're nothing less than milk toast never one of them have any courage to stand up and say what has to be said they're all showboating for their own position i talked to my senator last night King um, about the debt that we're getting ready to get in and wanted to know why the American people are going to end up being stuck with that debt when we're not the ones that got us there. The Senate and the Congress got us into that debt. We didn't do it. Indirectly, we did because we kept electing the same people over and over and over and over for 20 and 30 years. But essentially, they got us into this mess. And why aren't they going to be responsible for helping to pay it, pay it back when our stuff finally dissolves or evaporates our, our tax breaks that they're supposedly going to give us? <clears throat> they should give up some of their perks, take a cut in pay instead of getting their automatic pay raises and be just as responsible for it as they're going to make the American people. And. I, I'm just kind of wondering where you stand with that. And one other thing, too, I want to piggyback on a call that called from Maine about people being arrested in front of Susan Collins. That is a mm -hmm. direct result from Obama's um, 2012 NDAA thing. You're going to start seeing a lot of that happen where they swoop up six, seven hundred people at a time, arrest them, threaten them with 60 years in jail. And <clears throat> that is a direct result of that. I guarantee what provision of the National Defense uh, Authorization of 2014 uh, allows for no, that? 2012, Scott, Tom. 2012. What, what part of the NDAA does it? The one he got sued over and lost by Chris Hedges and then later got it reenacted in the, in the Second District Court in Washington because <clears throat> he was already using the law. What is the name of that provision, Scott? It's the National De Defense Authorization Act of 2012. No, I'm, it's when all of us. No, but I, 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 said, I know that, but that's like a thousand page piece of, of legislation. What is the yeah, provision within the act? There's one part in there, it says basically all they have to do is point at you and you lose your fourth amendment rights. 
Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Nate says it's well, Section 1021. They're going to do is point at you and say you did it, or they suspect you, and you can be, literally be blackholed for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, our, our video director says it's Section 1021. He's pretty smart about this kind of stuff. So um, uh, check it out, Scott. Scott, thanks for the heads up and thanks for the information. Thank you for the call. We'll be back with more of your calls. Welcome back. Let's pick up your uh, your calls. Stephanie in Winterville, Georgia. Hey, Stephanie, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. It's nice to have you back on the East Coast for a while. Um, I just Thank wanted you. to talk about the fact that um, I've, I've listened to you for the whole three hours today, and I haven't heard a single caller say, I've heard a lot of people say, I don't think Al Franken should have resigned. But not one caller has said, I don't think Al Franken should have touched women without their consent. And to me, it's been a really important program because, especially with the women callers, I just, I think you can really see why women struggle um, for liberation just lags behind, like the struggle of people of color, gay and lesbian rights, because we, we're so, I don't think testosterone is the drug. I think power is the drug. And you really see mm. women, like, kind of bending over backwards to just uh, curry favor with powerful men. I don't, you know, I've looked at the picture of Franken that he took, like groping Leanne Tweeden, and I don't know why it's funny to show like a man grabbing a woman, an unconscious, unconscious woman's breast. And, you know, I understand like it's sad to see Trump still standing and he's grabbed women's genitals or bragged about doing it or whatever. But, like, but it's basically the same thing that Franken was laughing about in that photo. Um, and the reason that Trump is... Hey, except, is Stephanie, just, just for the record, both... Stephanie, just for the record, and, I, and I'm, I, please, I'm in no way defending Al Franken, but both he and Leanne Tweed, Tweeden, the, the woman who's in the picture, both of them assert that he never actually physically touched her. In that picture. Well, the photo makes it look like he's touching her or about to. So yes, the, I know that. The joke that, that was, was the whole point of the joke, yes. Yeah, what's funny is, like, I'm about to touch a woman in a sexual way while she's... No, I get it. It's not funny. It's, it's a, it was a terrible joke. Uh, yeah, you know, as and comedians I just, do. Like, but he was not... Too, but, Stephanie, there is, a, there is a very specific difference between that joke women, and Donald really Trump grabbing a woman by the crotch... And, and touch us on our breasts? That's a very sexual... I mean, it's just as sexual for women. Of course it is. Um, I, yeah. I just... I, I just... It's been hard, like, listening to the women. My heart's just been racing because... And I feel like it's mostly more well-established women. I don't want to say older because I can't be for sure, but it's kind of like listening to Leanne Tweeden. Like, I, I have a theater degree, and her, her coming out with that actually made me made me realize that I'm a feminist. I like to think I'm aware, but gosh, I was actually sexually assaulted and harassed in college, you know, with some like audition things where I had to, you know, I had teachers making comments about my sexual parts of my body and like I was pushed to like kiss. And the one caller, especially who said like she worked at Hooters or she was in Playboy, so we can't take her seriously. It's like, so any woman who's ever been in any form of the sex industry or prostitution 
Now, yeah, nobody said like, that on this program, Stephanie. The the one I've, woman caller did say, well, one of his accusers that came forward worked at Hooters, or she. Oh, I didn't hear that. Playboy. I didn't hear that. That's 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 you know I agree with you. You you do you do not use people's pasts against them unless I you are you demonstrating lying, a uh, you know. Yeah, no, I believe you, Stephanie. Um, and 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 if that person said that and I missed it, my apologies. But but uh, you know, I think that we need did, to did stick to facts. Cap here. On it is I, I really feel like the reason we're being higher and we're not being weak or milk toast. This is progressive standing up for a progressive value is women's rights and women's liberation. There's yes. a great piece by Ian Milheiser on Think Progress about this, about why Franken you know betrayed women through this and. I just think this is the Democrats actually doing something with a spine for once. I'm proud of them. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear a, a contrasting point of view. Stephanie, thank you for the call. Uh, Laura in Santa Rosa, California. Hey, Laura, what's on your mind today? Hey there, Tom. It's been a long time. I've been listening and just letting everyone else speak, and I thought... I need to call in today. I'm going to respectfully disagree with your last caller there. Um, and here's the reason why. I had an old co-worker many years ago, a male named Bruce, who told me Republicans will always win because they're willing to do anything to win, while bleeding heart liberals are weakened by their own self-righteousness. Now, our, to me, the principles, norms, and values of our very American democratic foundation have been effectively weaponized in this situation. And you just look at the contrast. I'm not defending Franken by any means necessary. He was an idiot and he was foolish. But there's a difference between being foolish and playing around like a, comedi a comedian and an idiot, or even pinching someone, which I don't defend, and someone like Trump and Moore who use their power positions to overpower someone who's weaker than them for their own sexual gratification. OK, so that is a clear difference. Now, what I find really interesting here is that people are still scapegoating and blaming Obama or Hillary or Democrats. We need to look at ourselves. I'm the one that called you many, many months ago who talked about us all going to hell in a handbasket where we're in hell and the handbasket is on fire. The Republicans are complicit <laughs> in helping to destabilize and destroy the very social construct of America. And that affects all of us, except for the rich. And today you've got Republicans who are so addicted to their hatred and sticking it to liberals and scapegoating that they're willing to surrender their own rights and freedom in order to enjoy that high. Okay, because they refuse to acknowledge that it's the Republicans that's the fifth column. They're the ones responsible yeah, for oh, hyping the. I'm, I'm with you, Laura. I'm, I'm with you, and 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 I, you know, and I, it, it's just this remarkable moment in time when so much is changing, and uh, well, we'll see where it goes. Laura, thank you for the call. I, I can't disagree with anything you said, uh, or anything Stephanie said for that matter. It's, this is this is not. A, a, a binary thing. This is, this is a complex issue that needs attention. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow from Washington, D.C. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.